You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist for The Post. We're honored to be joined today by Ukraine's ambassador to Washington, Oksana Makarova. Uh, she's back to discuss with us the first uh, year of the war in Ukraine. Uh, welcome back to Washington Post Live, Ambassador. Good morning, David. Thank you for having me again. So let me begin by noting that in addition to marking uh, the anniversary of this terrible war, uh, today was the first day of spring uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and so we can say that you survived a terrible winter uh, and come through uh, as a country. I want to begin by asking you whether you believe that a victory or a negotiated settlement that's acceptable to Ukraine will be possible in this second year of the war. Victory, yes, if uh, to, to finish your question quickly. But you're absolutely right. It's been 371 days now. Difficult to imagine. One year of full-fledged war and actually nine years after the war started in 2014. And uh, spring has a very special meaning for Ukrainians. You know, we, we are very peaceful people. We are the nation of bread growers, actually. So for us to get through the winter is always, uh, you know, a big celebration because it means, you know, that the, the cold and dark times are over and we can go back to what we like to do most. Unfortunately, the war is far from over. and. Uh, you know, we still have to fight. We still have to stay the course. We still, on a daily basis, if you look at today, you know, and it wasn't the worst day out of the 371, but, you know, more than 85 attacks. Uh, again, civilian casualties. Again, uh, very hard battles on all the lines. But there is no other option, literally. It's, for us, it's very clear that, you know, we have to win if we want to exist as a nation. There is not a lot of compromise between Russians wanting to kill us and us wanting to leave. Ambassador, let me ask you about some of the things that have been in the news recently uh, on which people would like to hear your views, those of Ukraine. President Putin in Russia yesterday ordered border officials there to tighten control after what were described in Russian media as attempted drone attacks near Moscow, including, it seems, near a Gazprom facility. I'm going to ask you directly, does Ukraine claim responsibility for these attacks? Well, first of all, it's very difficult to trust whatever information we get from Russia. But uh, let me answer like this. First, our priority is, of course, to get Russians out from everywhere in Ukraine. So um, we still need more weapons in order to be able to disrupt their uh, aggressive plans to liberate our territories as fast as possible because people suffer uh, on a daily basis. People have been killed, raped, tortured. Our children are being kidnapped, uh, forcefully deport deported into Russia and put for a quick adoption. Now, according to the UN Charter, when the country is under uh, aggression and in this situation it's a very clear situation russia is the only country that is the aggressor here russia is the only country that attacked us russia is the only country that is on the foreign territory for them committing all these war crimes and atrocities our right to defend ourselves uh, include the right 
to hit not only in Ukraine. But as you saw during this time, we are focused on first getting the Russia out from everywhere in Ukraine, from the, our territory, within the internationally recognized uh, borders. So, but if Russia will not stop this aggression, of course they should not feel safe. Of course we will use all the means to defend ourselves and liberate our territory. So just to be clear, because it's such an important point, uh, as you know, Ambassador, you're basically saying that if Russia continues its invasion of your country, Ukraine has a right to strike back within Russia. Uh, it's not me saying, it's the UN Charter saying. The right to defend itself allows any country to defend itself, not only on our territory. And again, in this situation, it's very clear who is the aggressor and who started this war and who can end this war. Let me uh, ask you about the larger question that I know worries people here in Washington at the White House, and that is the risk of escalation. The, uh, as this war deepens, as Ukraine, uh, let's say, strikes within Russian territory, the danger of Russian escalation to a new level, perhaps including tactical nuclear weapons, uh, is there. How do, how do you and how does your government think about this question of escalation risk and possible use of tactical nuclear weapons? Well, first of all, uh, look, even before this phase of the of the invasion, Ukraine was after Russia attacked us in 2014. And again, we had all the rights, you know, coming from the previous question, to defend ourselves. We never used military routes. We, for eight years, tried to restore our territorial integrity with um, with diplomatic tools, with diplomatic solutions. So even within our territory, even in Crimea and Donetsk and Lugansk, we never uh, liberated our territories with force before February 24th. After February 24th, it's Russia that escalated. It's Russia that attacked us unprovoked, unjustified, no reason whatsoever, neither Ukraine nor anyone posed any threat to Russia. And now what we see that when they were not able to take uh, over Ukraine in three days as they planned, when they were not able to occupy all Ukraine, half Ukraine, all Donetsk and Lugansk oblasts, you know, their uh, uh, ideas of how to restore their um, you know, empire were decreasing as we were very effective in defending our country together with the help of our, from all of our allies and of course the United States first and foremost. We have seen that they always try to threaten everyone with escalatory rhetoric and escalation when they were losing on the battlefield. Now, shall we uh, be concerned about it and seriously analyze it, of course, as any responsible people, we have to take a look at it and we have to analyze and see, you know, what, 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 what Russia can do in a conventional warfare or elsewhere. But shall we be afraid because of it? Shall we forget about Ukraine? Shall we stop defending ourselves and simply lay out and die? Definitely not. So I think we have to send a very clear message to Russia that they have to stop and they cannot bully all the democratic world into submission by simply increasing their aggressive rhetoric. It's against 
the international law. It's against any rules that were put in place after the World War II. Uh, it's, and frankly, just recently, 141 countries supported the resolution on Ukraine. But even those countries that abstained definitely also defend the UN Charter and do not want any escalation, not to mention nuclear escalation. So um, I, I think, you know, any escalatory rhetorics coming from Russia should be yet another reason for all of us, not only to stay firm, but act more with sanctions, more with, escalate, with uh, isolation of Russia, and more support and weapons to Ukraine, so we can actually fast, faster get to peace and faster finish this war. Thank you, Ambassador. That's a helpful answer. So let me talk about weapons to Ukraine. Uh, the question of F-16 fast fighter jets has been very much in the news recently. U.S. Undersecretary of Defense uh, Colin Kale uh, said yesterday on Capitol Hill that he doesn't think that F-16s are a top priority in terms of U.S. weapons deliveries to Ukraine, that delivery would take at least 18 months. There are other more urgent needs. What was the reaction in, in Kyiv uh, to uh, uh, these Pentagon comments essentially saying, not now on the F-16s? Well, um, first, our cooperation with our partners, with Pentagon, with Department of State, with, uh, is, is so, uh, you know, deep, frank, that we literally do not need to react to public comments. We, we discuss these issues on a daily basis. And as we usually say, we like to surprise Russians on the battlefield rather than discuss publicly what is going to be there or not to be there. Uh, I will just say that we are discussing all capabilities and maybe take a step back and say that in September 2021, long before this phase of aggression started, Ukraine and the U.S. has signed a framework agreement between our Ministry of Defense and the Department of Defense on the strategic cooperation in that area for five years. So for us, building out our capabilities, getting closer to NATO standards, has been very uh, important ever since we started building uh, independent Ukraine in 1991, but especially after 2014, especially after we saw that the threat of Russia attacking us realized, and they did attack us in 2014. Uh, so we, since February, of course, we're discussing all the capabilities. And, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a selection of what is needed by Ukraine at the moment, what is available, what can be in numbers, what can be quickly deployed. But uh, I can assure you that none of the capabilities are out of discussion completely. It's the question of uh, when, how, what is the most efficient way. So... Uh, some discussions are easier, some discussions are more difficult. The majority of discussions are not only between us and the U.S., as you uh, saw the ninth meeting of uh, so-called Rammstein Group, the Ukraine contact group, uh, already gathered 54 countries. And I think we have, to, we have to praise the U.S. for not only leading in the security assistance and helping us in this very critical moment uh, for Ukraine's independence, for, for our... Uh, existence, but also for restoring the global security architecture, but also getting everyone else, you know, building this coalition of the willing 
of the people who get together and discuss it together. So uh, again, you know, I just just to recall, you know, a couple of months before HIMARS has appeared in Ukraine, uh, the majority of people thought and, and said that it's not possible. Just a couple of months before we saw a very effective use of javelin stingers and all other capabilities. Uh, there was also a discussion whether, you know, it's possible or not. Uh, let's uh, give us the time to discuss it between ourselves. And then again, let's surprise the Russians on the battlefield. <laughs> Just one more question before we leave the subject of, of F-16s. Would it be possible, and, and are you discussing with the United States, uh, training of Ukrainian air crews in F-16s starting now or soon, even if the delivery of those planes is sometime in the future? Uh, that's very important point. And as you know, a number of our uh, troops already are being trained on a number of different capabilities outside of Ukraine. Uh, and it's very important. Again, it's important for the for winning the war now, but it's also important for building the endurance strength, for building the capabilities for the future. Because again, we 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 are positive that we will win in this war. We must win in this war. But Russia will not uh, move somewhere, right? They will always be on 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 our border, and unless they go through a very painful and uh, very difficult transformation themselves, if, of course, Russian people would want that, they will remain a threat to all of us. So training on all capabilities, from Western artillery to Western tanks to F-16s or other uh, air capabilities to the air defense is a priority. Okay, so behind you, Ambassador, I believe are images of Bakhmut, where some of the toughest fighting of the war is taking place. President Zelensky said yesterday that it's getting more difficult to defend Bakhmut. Uh, your General Alexander uh, Sirsky described the situation in the city as extremely tense. What can you tell us, based on your information, about the situation there today? It is very, it is very difficult and tense, and it's not, it's not only Bakhmut. So if we take again, as I said, the front line is very long and wide, and in Bakhmut and in a number of places near Bakhmut and Kupiansk and Liman and uh, you know all that, uh, all the villages near near the Bakhmut, the fight is literally twenty four seven, and it's a very you know, World War One type of fight with a heavy artillery, with um, air strikes from Russia, with uh, rocket strikes, with the multi-rocket multi-rocket uh, launch systems used by them. Uh, so it, it's it's a very very difficult fight, but Russians are losing many more uh, there. Our brave defenders are holding the line, and they're holding this line for a number of months now. It's not just today, you know. So. Um, we we also see that in addition to the fight in Bakhmut and in the vicinity of Bakhmut, uh, Russians continue to try to to do to to push on all other directions. So they continue shelling Kherson, they continue uh, shelling uh, villages in Zaporizhia. Uh, so they're trying also, you know, to to press in a number of directions. We will defend Ukraine everywhere. 
And as you saw from the president, from the chord, from all the deputy commanders on the ground, uh, people keep asking, you know, what, what is the significance of, of this city or that city? And of course, you know, on the one, you know, we will not, um, there, it's not a political decision. It's, it's a decision of the military commanders and they know how to do it. And they have shown during this year that not only Ukrainians, but all of us can trust them and can trust their judgment. But as a, as a non-military person, I, I can add that there is a significance of every village in Ukraine. Every village that is not liberated is people, Ukrainians, who are behind the line. And they are not just sitting there, right, waiting for us. They have been tortured. They have been killed. They, they have been subjected to all the war crimes and atrocities that we have seen in Bucha, in Izum, in Kherson, in so many places that were unknown to the world until this year. And unfortunately, they are known now as the symbol of something we have not seen since the World War II in Europe, the mass graves and, and, and all of this. So for us, you know, the more weapons we can get, the faster we can go on counteroffensives everywhere, the faster we can liberate our land. And it means that more lives we can save. Ambassador, let me ask you about one of the areas where Ukrainian citizens live, but uh, there's a lot of skepticism that your military is going to be able to recover that territory soon, and that's Crimea. Uh, we've had pretty direct statements from General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that he thinks this year it's unrealistic to think that Ukraine can recapture Crimea. I want to ask you uh, whether there is some uh, outcome short of a total military conquest of, of Crimea that would be acceptable, some kind of deferred status, demilitarization of, of Crimea was suggested on this program by our uh, Undersecretary of State, Victoria Nuland, last week. Any of those formulas, ones that Ukraine would consider discussing? Um, well, the, the, the short undiplomatic option answer is no, but let me expand on that. So. Um, Demilitarization is, of course, a very important part of what should be done. But look, Crimea is no different from any other oblasts in Ukraine. Uh, years, if not decades, of Russian propaganda led people to, to, to the situation which we, we, we faced in 2014, when a sham referendum in Crimea, not different from a sham referendum which was recently conducted by Russians in uh, Kherson or in any other places under the um, barrels of the guns is, is again is no different from what is going on now. So for us, you know, uh, to liberate Ukraine and to win the, in this war, and President Zelensky has very clearly stated this in his ten-step peace formula, is to restore territorial integrity and our sovereignty within internationally recognized borders. That includes Crimea. Let me remind you that in 1991, 98% of Ukrainians voted to be independent. When asked on a free and fair referendum, 98% everywhere, including Crimea. Those borders have been recognized not only by Ukraine, but by everyone, including Russia. Those borders are recognized by the UN. This is, this is what Ukraine is. 
And look, in, 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 in Europe, we can pick any period of the time in the past and find different borders. You know, this is not how it's done in the, in the modern world. We can pick a period in the time when we actually had parts of Russia, which are now Russia, and they were part of Ukraine. But civilized people today do not do that. Civilized people do not review the, the, what, was, what was in the past. We have our borders. It was accepted. This is what people of Ukraine voted for, and we have to restore it. Now, as the former finance person, I can clearly say that our victory and being able to win is a function of weapons, support to us, and sanctions and, and isolation to Russia. Because I think this year has shown that Ukrainian willingness to fight, Ukrainian willingness to defend our homes is there and even after horrible atrocities even after destroying more than 50 percent of our energy infrastructure even after very difficult winter even after losing loved ones even after going through horrible horrible period there is no way we will surrender or give up so the question is will we be able to to get crimea back of course how it's how it will it could be possible it's a question of stronger position of our allies of more isolation to and and sanctions to russia of more weapons to us and it's possible of course we would prefer if russians finally realized that they cannot win this aggressive war get got up and left you know they are the ones who started this war and if they stop it, the war will stop tomorrow. Because again, we do not intend to attack Russia. We do not intend to hit any targets in Russia. We do not, our goal is to restore our sovereignty and, 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 uh, and territorial integrity. So it is possible. We hope we can do it without uh military ways because unlike russians we do care about our citizens and you have seen during this year when we were liberating Kherson, for example or izum or any other places how careful and how skillful even sometimes uh at a cost of their own lives our brave defenders are liberating the cities not to uh, harm any of the civilians who are waiting for our, for the liberations there. So, Ambassador, we have just a minute or so left. I, I want to ask you a, 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 perhaps a final question. China has offered a peace proposal. It's been widely rejected by Russia, including others. Uh, but Ukraine has expressed interest in, in China's role. And I want to ask you whether, whether Ukraine believes that China could play a role as a mediator in this conflict. What do you think? Well, uh, I, I wouldn't say talk about mediators, but let me answer like this. Everyone can play a role and everyone who believes that UN Charter is sacred and that aggressors should not attack peaceful countries uh, should play a role and should make clear their position that Russia have to stop this war. On the peace plans, we have the peace plan that President Zelensky has suggested. Uh, as you saw, the China... Uh, proposal, so-called peace plan, starts with respect to sovereignty and territorial integrity. We can stop right there. 
if this is what we all believe in, they should tell Russia to leave. Excellent peace plan. So I, I think, you know, again, everyone should play a role. It's bigger than Ukraine. It's not only about Ukraine. It's about all of us restoring the, the global security architecture. And um, I believe, you know, I really hope that the next time we discuss it at the UN, the votes are going to be even bigger because we all have to we, we all have to tell Russia that what they're doing is unacceptable. Closing one sentence question. Have you uh, warned the Chinese against supplying weapons to Russia? Uh, we did not see the facts yet. Of course, all of us are monitoring. And I, I truly hope that nobody will supply weapons to Russia like Iran already doing or, or Belarus and will not taint their reputation joining the murderous war criminals. So, Ambassador from Ukraine, uh, Oksana Makarova, thank you so much for joining us. We know you have a, uh, a meeting that you've got to go to. Uh, thanks for being with us again. Come back and see us soon. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank to all Americans for the support. This has been remarkable, the support we received from the people of this country. And of course, the president and Congress on a bipartisan basis, but people, you know, seeing American flags next to Ukrainian flags on individual houses uh, and, and receiving such a warm support for everywhere in, in, in the United States have been very important by, for, for the people of Ukraine. And we value it a lot. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.